We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. A critic of my Washington Times column, a column that defends the religious heritage and DNA and history of the United States of America, writes me a letter and cites the Treaty of Tripoli as evidence that I'm wrong. I'm going to dissect this critic, her letter, and this constant reference by the progressives to the Treaty of Tripoli in today's show. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to today's Rebellion. As I said in the introduction, my topic today is the Treaty of Tripoli. Why? Because a critic of mine recently sent me a letter in objection to a column that I wrote for the Washington Times where I was responding to those who are calling me and some of you listening a right-wing religious wingnut. As you know, I use the context of the fact that I'm running for county commissioner in Osage County here in Oklahoma. And one of my detractors, one of my competitors, called me a right-wing religious wingnut recently. And as you know, my response was a bit of a rhetorical comeback. You can call it a rhetorical rant if you want, where I wrote a column and I said, if Believing in the comments, the documents, the writing, and the declarations of the founding fathers, such as Abraham Lincoln, yes, I'm including him as a founding father. I know that he wasn't in that particular generation, but I would argue that we've placed him there as a guardian, if not a father, over our national identity. But I go back to the original, the first generation, too, Governor Morris, who authored the preamble of the United States Constitution, who said that we are a government of we the people. Quoting from Whitcliffe and his translation of the Bible, we the people, if believing that makes me a right-wing religious wingnut, then I'm guilty as charged. If believing what Abraham Lincoln said, of the people, by the people, and for the people, makes me a right-winger, then I stand condemned. If, If holding to the words of, oh, Alexander Hamilton, when he said, no unjust authority bears any obligation to obedience. If that makes me a right-winger, a wingnut, then I guess I'm guilty as charged. If believing that our rights are self-evident and that we are all created equal and endowed by our Creator, God, with those unalienable rights of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, the right to pursue our purpose rather than haplessness, if believing that the words of Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin. If believing in those things makes me right-wing, then okay, I guess that's who I am. If Martin Luther King's words resonate with me, that we should judge people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin, if that makes me a religious zealot, then I guess I'll wear the label with pride. I cite the words of John Jay, 
the president of the Continental Congress, who said the Bible is the best of all books, for it is the word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and the next. If, if believing in the words of James McHenry, the signer of a con, one of the signers of the Constitution, excuse me, a signer of the Constitution, when he said the Holy Scriptures can alone secure to society order and peace and to our courts of justice and our constitutions of government, purity and stability. Does that make me a nut job? Well, I guess if it does, then so be it. I guess that's who I am. So, you know, I... I've covered this in a previous show. I talked about the words of Teddy Roosevelt, a further generation, even obviously after Abraham Lincoln, who said the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined in our whole civic and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure to ourselves what life would be if these teachings were removed. That's Teddy Roosevelt. And then I cite a seminal quote from John Adams, John Adams, okay, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. I go through all of these. I concluded in my article by saying, Mom always said if, that you're known by the company you keep. My mom always told me, you're known by the company you keep. And if keeping company with the likes of Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson... Teddy Roosevelt, and the list goes on and on and on, even keeping company with the likes of King Solomon, who told us, King Solomon, who told us, how long will the simple, the simple-minded delight in scoffing, how long will fools hate knowledge? If keeping light company with the likes of people like this makes me a right-wing religious wingnut, then I guess so be it. I'll wear the, that label, that badge, with honor. Well, I have a detractor. And after we take the break, I'm going to read to you portions of, portions of this letter that I just received yesterday, where my detractor calls me out, and I'm going to dissect that detractor's response. I'm going to refer to the Treaty of Tripoli, because she does. She brings it up. And I'll tell you why after we take this break. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. All right, I, before I get to the Treaty of Tripoli, I've got to share with you, I, can't, I don't have time to go through her whole letter, but I am doing it justice. I'm going to hit her accusations. Uh, it was written to me, it was delivered to me in the United States Postal Service via my mailbox uh, yesterday. It says, Mr. Piper, you say that you have no king in America. I did say that in my letter, in my column. We don't have a king in America. We have a constitution. Who would argue differently? But then she goes on and says, yet you supported a godless, lying, lawless, womanizing con man. No, I didn't support Joe Biden. I'm sorry. Uh, obviously, the accusation here is attributed to Trump. You supported a godless, lying, lawless, womanizing con man named Trump. But it isn't, isn't it interesting? She brings up Trump when my column had nothing to do with Trump. I'm so sick and tired of this Trump derangement syndrome. Stop talking about Trump. Deal with the 
deal with the column, deal with my argument, deal with its premise. And if you can't, just be quiet. Just, just keep your mouth shut if you can't respond to the premise of the argument. If you have to go to Trump every time you disagree with somebody, then arguably you're the one that has a problem, not the person you're disagreeing with. And by the way, if you want to talk about godlessness, lying, lawlessness, womanizing, if you want to talk about being a con man, pathological liar, then let's talk about Joe Biden, too, along with Trump. If you want to, if, if you want to talk about Trump, fine, if that's the context. God, deception, lawlessness, womanizing, con man. But I think we ought to talk about Joe Biden, too, in the same breath and a ton of others that apparently you think would be superior to Donald Trump. I mean, consistency here, folks. She then goes on and says, you support a fascist dictatorship because I support Donald Trump. Again, I didn't say anything about Donald Trump, and I don't know that she even understands what fascism is because clearly the left, the progressives, believe in subservience, bowing to the collective, the power of the collective bundle. That is a fascist. That's the derivative, or the origin, I should say, out of which the derivative fascism comes. Fa fascist is a Roman bundle of sticks bound together so tightly that it will crush you. It can't be broken. That's, that's the origin of the word. That's the etymology of the word. Fascism. Well, who believes in the collective today? The power of the hierarchy. The power of the of the, of the mob, the rule of the gang. Who is subservient to that? Who bows to that? Who uses that to get their way? Oh, but you, you supported the insurrection, she accuses me of doing in this particular letter. Well, says who? Again, my column had nothing to do with what they call an insurrection. It had nothing to do with Donald Trump. It had nothing to do with any of that. My column specifically and clearly deals with the accusation that I'm a right-wing religious wingnut, and I'm asking, why do you call me that? And I refer to the Founding Fathers and the things that I believe that they affirmed, that they believed. That's it. The column's very clear. I don't say anything about the insurrection, quote-unquote, insurrection. I don't say anything about Donald Trump. I don't say anything about gerrymandering, which she brings up. I don't say anything about any of that. I, she goes on, you rant about being advised to wear a mask and get vaccinated in order to stop the most severe, relentless respiratory virus in our lifetimes because you think that's an intrusion on your liberty. When science tells us that it is the only way out and you make false claims about your religious freedom being threatened. Well, you know what? The issue of masks and getting vaccinated is still under scientific investigation. If you want to follow the science, then do so. Stop ignoring it. We have a boatload of evidence that masking doesn't work. So don't tell me anything about science if you're going to go back and blindly bow at the altar of Anthony Fauci and the oligarchs in Washington, D.C. who want to tell you to continue to wear a piece of paper over your face when there is a ton of scientific evidence that shows it's ineffective and doesn't work. I've cited it before on this show. 
I can go through it with you in great detail. There are studies coming out of Japan, out of Israel, out of Sweden, out of Denmark, out of Canada. There are studies coming out of Oxford, coming out of Cambridge. There are studies that go back not just five months, but five years, ten years, and more, which have been done on the efficacy of wearing masks as a preventative measure, as a prophylactic against airborne pathogens. And guess what, people? Those studies demonstrate that the masks don't work. So how is it that these people that are so pro-science and so anti-conservative, how is it that this woman named Crystal Farkle is writing me a letter telling me to attend to the science when the science has told us over and over again when the empirical data, the research, the longitudinal research, not just a snapshot in time or a political statement by his grand and glorious high and mighty high priest of scientism, not science, Anthony Fauci, reverses course after telling you don't wear the mask and now he tells you to wear the mask. He admits that he lied to you and now you're going to bow at his every dictate and claim that you're pro-science and I'm not. I mean, I don't go there. And as far as the vaccine, by definition, the vaccine has not been around long enough for us to know what its long-term side effects will be or efficacy will be. Obviously, that's being proven true on a minute-by-minute basis in the news because you have to get one booster, two boosters, three boosters, and now they're admitting that you may need to get a fourth booster. Why would you think that that's going to be the end of it? So... The efficacy of the vaccine, and it's not a vaccine, by the way, scientifically, is obviously in question here. And why would you suggest that somebody like myself who discusses the proven medical fact, not just over five months, five years, or 50 years, or even 100 years, The proven medical fact, biological fact, physiological fact of natural immunity should be discussed as part of our strategy, part of the reality of how we respond to this virus. Why why in the world would you bring up this stupid paragraph about how I'm at fault for ranting your language, your word, about masks and vaccination and that I'm the one who should be criticized for not taking the most relentless respiratory virus in our lifetimes seriously. Well, it is a relentless virus. That's beyond question. But my land, there is a 99% plus survival rate. And this new variant, the current variant, is mild. The symptoms are mild. Oh, but you heard that somebody's in the hospital and they're suffering and they're dying. They probably are. But there are people in the hospital suffering from a lot of things because you know what? We're not immortal. And we know via the science, via the history 
of studying these types of things, that if you keep yourself healthy, if you're not overweight, if you're managing your comorbidities, and we also know that if you have had the disease, that you can respond differently to this than you would if you aren't managing your health, if you are overweight, or if you are unfortunate enough to have a comorbidity such as cancer or diabetes that you can't control because it it's not an issue of your weight, it's an issue of having it for other reasons. We know that you can respond to this differently depending on who you are because of your age, your health, and whatnot, and especially if you've had the disease before, such as I have, and you've got natural immunity as a result. I mean, I could go on and on, but I told you I'm going to talk about the Treaty of Tripoli. So this woman is calling, my, calling me out. She's criticizing me. And she, at the end of her letter, she quotes, uh, let me see here, I've got to pull it out here. You talk about the Bible being so important in our civic and moral lives, yet you supported the aforementioned president who knows no God. Again, my article has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Please stop. Please stop your TDS. Please stop your Trump derangement syndrome. You don't even know, by virtue of reading my one article, whether or not I supported Trump or didn't. I mean, I could have written this letter and been very anti-Trump. And in fact, as you all know, who are listening right now, I've been very critical of Trump when I believe he's wrong, and I've thanked Trump when I believe he's right. I've made some of you listening to this show uncomfortable when I've criticized Trump for being wrong. I think I've probably made some of you listening to this show uncomfortable when I have sided with Trump too aggressively. I've done the same thing with every other politician I support. I've criticized Governor Stitt, governor of Oklahoma, when I believe he's been wrong. I've done so as recently as yesterday on this show. I've thanked Governor Stitt when he's been right. And I can tell you right now, if it comes down to Joy Hoffmeister as the Democrat nominee and Governor Stitt as the Republican nominee, I will campaign as hard, if not harder, than everybody listening to this show for who? Governor Stitt, because Joy Hoffmeister would be a disaster a complete, unmitigated, socialist, arrogant, oligarchical disaster. I would never support Joy Hoffmeister in any way that would cause harm to a decent governor like Governor Stitt, one that, who, who has been wrong on some things, yes, but at least he has a compass, a moral compass that'll steer him in a general right direction rather than the lunacy of Joy Hoffmeister and her socialist agenda. That's why I would support Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. I mean, sometimes we do have a clear decision to make and to just sit silent and smugly on the sidelines and do nothing is crazy. So anyway, she says, you talk about the Bible being so important to our civic and moral lives, and then she says, well, that's not, that's not true. And she quotes, she quotes this. Christianity neither is nor ever was a part of our common law, Thomas Jefferson. Then she quotes John Adams. The government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Now, why does she say that from John Adams? John Adams is the man who also said, 
our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people and is wholly adequate to the government of any other. So what is she talking about? Very quickly, very quickly, I have about five minutes left here. She's referring to the Treaty of Tripoli. The Treaty of Tripoli was a 1797 treaty. It was a treaty that was written up in 1797. And Thomas, excuse me, John Adams was the president at the time. Thomas Jefferson was obviously very much in play. Benjamin Franklin would have been likewise. George Washington still would have been alive, obviously. 1797, the Treaty of Tripoli. Now, why was it, why was it uh, written in the first place? Well, it's because the Muslims in the Mediterranean, the Barbary coast, which was the north coast of Africa, which included Tripoli, Algiers, Tunis, the Muslim nations on the north coast, Tripoli, which would now be called Libya. It, the Muslim nations, the Muslim states of North Africa, were raiding merchant ships in the Mediterranean, and they were demanding that you pay a peace fee. Um, if you didn't pay that to them, then they wouldn't uh, protect you, quote-unquote, from the pirates on the Barbary Seas, the Mediterranean coast of North Africa. In other words, the United States was suffering piracy, was suffering terrorism at the hands of Muslims. So what did our founding fathers do? Well, their original course was to pay the fee for a period of time and to sign a treaty, a peace treaty, with the Barbary states. Again, Algiers, Tripoli, and whatnot. And here's what the, this woman is citing in the Treaty of Tripoli. It does say this. It says, it says, the government of the United States is in no sense founded on the Christian religion. Well, there you go, Piper. She's got you. I mean, obviously, that's pretty clear, isn't it? No. You know why? Because that's not the end of the sentence. How many times have you heard me say it on this show? Context is king. Well, if you cherry pick your position by splicing sentences together or truncating a sentence before it's complete, uh, you should be held in suspicion. So all of the progressives right now that are citing the Treaty of Tripoli and that quote that I just gave you as evidence that even our founding fathers admitted that we were not a Christian nation, they're lying to you. Here's the whole quote. Here's the whole quote from the Treaty of Tripoli. As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on a Christian religion, as it has in itself no charter of enmity against the laws and the religion or tranquility of Muslims. And as the said states in America have never entered into any war or act of hostility toward any Muslim nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinion shall ever produce an interruption of the harmony existing between the two countries, period. That's the end of the sentence. 
And you might say, well, Piper, that still says, as the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no charter of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslims. It says that, yes, but listen to the entire sentence. And what is the context? The context is... The Americans were trying to figure out how to deal with these Muslims. They didn't understand Muslims very well at the time. In fact, Thomas Jefferson purchased a copy of the Quran. Why? Do you think he was interested in converting to Islam? No. The reason he had a Quran in his library is he was trying to understand, what do these people believe? Why are they attacking us? Why, why do they practice this butchery so readily? Why are they enslaving enslaving our citizens when they attack our ships? They had taken 1.25 million Christians captive via these raids over the course of time. 1.25 million Christians had been taken captive. So the context of the Treaty of Tripoli is this. They were saying the government of the United States is not in any sense founded as a European Christian nation. They were responding to the concerns that the Muslims were going to, had to fight the United States as they had fought in the Crusades. That the, that, that the state and religion were unified under the banner of a Christian religion, such as in the European nations. They were saying, no, the United States is founded differently. We have freedom of religion in the United States. We, we, we do have a separation of church and state in the United States. And again, that separation protects the church from the state. It doesn't protect the state from the church. John Adams, who said... Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other, did sign this treaty that says the United States of America is not founded in any sense as a Christian religion, as it has in itself no charter of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of anyone, Muslims included. This is a different Constitution. This is a different idea. This is the American experiment. We have a separation of church and state here in the United States. We don't have a federally sanctioned religion. We don't have enmity against any religion or its tranquility here in the United States. We're not killing people in the United States because they don't subscribe to the king's religion. That's what the Treaty of Tripoli says and this woman citing this quotation, taking out of context, cherry-picking the Treaty of Tripoli, like many progressives are doing right now, is asinine. It's crazy. I hope that helps you understand why her concerns over my letter, over my column, in response to people calling me a right-wing religious wingnut, why her concerns are just vacuous. Um, maybe I'll cover more of this in tomorrow's show. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.